This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going into Jonah. Uh, and we go into Jonah, and it's a book most of you have had uh, exposure to. Uh, you know the story. It kind of sits there on the surface, uh, and you have this chance uh, to understand what's happening. Remember the basic premise. God asks Jonah, he says, I, w- I want you to go to Nineveh, uh, and I want you to preach there. And instead of going to Nineveh, uh, the prophet gets in a boat, goes below deck, and lets the boat take him to a place called Tarshish, uh, which most scholars suggest is actually probably in modern-day Spain, uh, which is kind of the furthest place you can go from where he's supposed to go, opposite direction, uh, heading to the far end of the known sea of the Mediterranean uh, and making his way uh, out there. And Jonah recognizes that he's in rebellion. And he recognizes it because a storm will come up on that ship. So if you've got the Bible, open up chapter 1 is where we're headed first. That's a good place to start in Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, verse 12. Jonah recognizes that his getting in the boat and running from God, who God invited him to go to Nineveh, here's how we know Jonah says that. He says to those fellow mariners, those who are also in the boat, who say, boy, it's time, it's time to pray, man, because the storm's coming and we have, we have lost the ability to fix what's happening. So let's do some prayer, uh, which is kind of what happens in the midst of emergencies and crisis, whether they be national, state, or local. Uh, when everybody's lost, they say pray. Even in today's hyper-social media political realm, if all things are breaking out, what are all politicians allowed to say? Thoughts and prayers. We can say this. <laughs> Mariners on a boat, they may not all agree with who everyone else is God, but they've all decided what? It's time for thoughts and prayers, so let, let's do it. Thoughts and prayers time. And, and in the midst of a crisis, no one goes, well, we can't say that. Everyone's like, man, say whatever you need, because it's time to save my life. So here's Jonah. He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for you, for I know it is because of me this great tempest has come upon you. See, they're all praying, and Jonah's gotten to a place where he realizes, you know what, I'm the guy. This storm's, this storm's for me. Uh, it got rocky because I didn't listen to God. The text goes on to say that the, the mariners say, man, we're not going to throw you into the sea. And they try rowing as hard as they can, uh, and they're not going to get there. Because in verse 9, he had confessed to them that he was a Hebrew. He had confessed that he was a follower of the God, the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, he had said that, and they, they're kind of like, wow, if, if, if that's the God you worship and this storm's happening, buddy, it's time uh, that maybe we make a change. Now, the quick end of the story is Jonah will make his way to Nineveh. And when he makes his way to Nineveh, we jump to chapter 3. They repent. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he was going to send to Nineveh. The one Jonah was supposed to speak against, God relents from it. And most of you are like, then say amen, pastor. We're done. We reached it. We're set. So what's interesting is that's Jonah in a nutshell, the story of Nineveh. But the story for you and I isn't Nineveh. How many of you live in modern-day Nineveh? Anyone? Not none of you. So we're left with the question, what's Jonah doing for us? What do we have to do? Well, the impact of the sin actually goes so far as that when they repent, the king tells all people and beasts actually put on sackcloth and ash. I mean, they're all involved. Sin's that big. 
But it's 2019, and sin can't be that big a thing, right? We make sin kind of small. It's just kind of an issue. It's a Sunday morning problem. We sing a few songs, and it goes away. We mention Jesus' name. We just kind of rub it off. Uh, I remember as a kid, we used to do lots of waxing of cars, which uh, I guess my kids will never know how exciting it is to not have to wax a car every two months. But as a kid, man, we were always waxing cars. Rubbing compound and wax was like my childhood. Uh, that we just sat there always shining stuff up. But here you have this piece that instead you just kind of wonder, is sin something we can just buff out? And that was my favorite part as a kid. Once the wax would, you'd get the white up and then you'd sit there and you'd rub that off and it'd just shine. Kind of like, hey, if I come into church on Sunday, I kind of get my wax put back on, I buff that thing out and I'm ready to go. Uh, a lot of people now don't, you guys, anybody shine shoes? Anyone still shine shoes? Okay, a couple of you. This is another thing a lot of people don't, but man, there's a joy, and you, you put some, some good stuff down on there, get a nice oil, and just do it a couple times, and you can see your what? Your reflection, man. This is, you know you've arrived when you can see yourself in your shoe. Some of you are like, this is why we've advanced to new things, and we do not need to waste our time on that. Okay, fine, you can have your thing. But as we look to sin, it's not just a buffing piece. It's a big problem. So this morning, as we look, what we got to wonder is, what's Jonah up to? Because we've already resolved the Nineveh thing, so instead, our text took us to chapter 4, and that's where I want us to spend time, because Jonah 4 steps into, I think, not Nineveh, because you guys don't live in Nineveh, you told me that, uh, but do we just see sin as something we buff out on Sunday mornings, or is it something that's bigger? Chapter 4, verse 1, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What's the thing that displeased him? That God forgave people. See, Jonah was upset that certain people could be forgiven. He understood God. He knew that God was calling him. But the fact that some people, that Assyrians, people who had probably either harmed, hurt, or maimed people that he knew, loved, or had imprisoned them because Assyria is causing problems again and again and again and again on the people of Israel. And God said, hey, I want you to go to that people, and I want you to set them free. You may recall if you read the entire text this past week, and if you didn't, don't worry, I'll hand it right to you. Uh, Jonah didn't want to go. Why? Because he knew God would forgive him. The text continues, but it displeased him exceedingly. He was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah's upset because he knew God was so graceful. Isn't that weird? It's a weird thing. We sing a song, we start this morning, we talk about your grace is enough, and you've got a prophet who's upset that God actually forgives people. You've got someone who seemingly is on God's team, who's a prophet, a voice box to carry forward a message, and he's troubled that God's going to forgive people. Because Jonah's got a place in his life. It's a secret little box of people. He doesn't talk about it a lot, but it's that box of people that he doesn't want to ever pray to God for. He prays to God for lots of things. Praise to God for his people, his neighbors, lots of things. Fair weather, all the things, crops, but there's this group of people, we don't pray for them. Because we're afraid God may actually do something to fix them. Now that may seem odd to you, you're like, oh, that's not possible. Or maybe there's a real human side of you, right? you have to sit there and go, how'd you know about my box? How'd you know I have people I don't pray for? How'd you know I have people that I don't really want to be a part of this church because I don't want to see them every Sunday? or much less see them when I'm having fun, because when we have meals and we gather on Wednesdays or when we're out serving someone in the neighborhood or community, I, I have people I want to be around. I love seeing you guys, but I don't want that person to be there. It's someone else's job to pray for them. God, I'll, I'll pray for other people, but I won't pray for them. 
see, this is Jonah. Jonah's been asked to go to the people that are in the box that he doesn't pray for, that are in the room that he says, God, those people are on you because I'm not doing anything for them. You want to do something, you do it. But don't you let me see it, hear about it, learn about it, or know it. Because if I do, I'm going to have words with you. And don't worry, (laughs) he does. Jonah has lots of words with God about these people. Jonah doesn't like how God acts. Jonah doesn't like what's going on. And the book sets this really in a unique way. It's Gentiles versus Jonah. So if you were to keep a scorecard of who's getting God right, the Gentiles, which is a fancy word in the Old Testament to mean what? Anyone know this? Everybody else. Yeah, good. That's right. That's the fancy word for everybody else. So whenever you see Gentile, just put everybody else. Uh, Of which, unless you were born into a Jewish household, you're a what? You're an everybody else. So it's everybody else versus the prophet. And if you scorecard through Jonah, everybody else does really, really well. And Jonah does really, really bad. God speaks to everybody else, they repent. God speaks to everybody else, sackcloth and ashes. God speaks to everybody else, they praise God. And the king goes so far as to say, what? He goes, who knows? Who knows if maybe God will have mercy on us? Who knows if he may still relent? Did you catch that? The king doesn't say, God, you have to, which is kind of a Christian move that I think we make a lot today. You know? Well, I prayed, so God, you got to give me my stuff. The king, when he's repenting for Nineveh, says, We've done the sackcloth, we've done the ash, we did the repentance. Who knows, God may still, he may still actually forgive us, which acknowledges what? He may, he may not. He may not have within him to do that because our sin is that deep. It's not just a buff it out. It's not just a shine your shoe problem. Uh, Sin can't be buffed out. See, my brother and I learned this as well when it came to a rubbing compound, which we've never used. This is that magic compound that a 1984 Ford Escort uses all the time because they used to make sheet metal in such a way uh, that white was only a temporary color. Tan was the permanent color that was behind the sheet metal that always came up. And you could rubbing compound out the rust enough, but all you were really doing was what? Buying yourself two to three weeks when you had to go back again and get that out unless you did what? Most of you don't know these products, right? We didn't do this. You had to get down to the bare sheet metal, turn it white, put rust-oleum on it, restore the metal, bring it back, and then paint it. You're like, well, that's too much work. I'm not interested. I know, this is the trouble with sin. Most of us aren't interested in the hard work of actually treating sin. To actually treat it, God does what? God gets you down to your bare sheet metal, and he takes the rust off and treats it, and he does it through his death on the cross. He's got to go down and treat it. But a lot of us just want Sunday to just be, we just want songs and flowers and happiness. And pastor, fix it in an hour. Because if you run an hour in 10 again, we're just going to look at you differently and the handshake will be shorter because you chewed into our time. It's funny, we laugh about it because it's true. We have built ourselves into this environment that we just want church to be church and then we get to go back and do non-church stuff. Instead of church being something where God's shifting us for everything we do and he's preparing us for our entire week and everything we do here carries forward and that your grace is enough that the little box of people I don't pray for, guess what? I'm going to start praying for them. And I'm going to start praying that God would do amazing things in spite of my unwillingness to see what God's doing. Jonah uh, chapter 4 verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it's better for me to die than live. That's Jonah. Remember we said scorecard? Everybody else versus Jonah? Trust me, he's losing a tick mark here. He said, God, I don't even, you you forgave people I didn't want you to forgive. You ready for this? Kill me. 
he doesn't want to live because the people he didn't like just got forgiven. There are darknesses inside us as humans we do not expose on Sunday morning. I'm not asking any of you to write anything down. I'm not asking you to write this on a prayer card. I'm not asking you to tell anybody. But if we're true to who we are and we see Jonah's shape, some of us are shaped like Jonah as well. That there's a darkness in us that's so bad that when God forgives certain people, God, I don't want you if you forgive those people. That's what Jonah's saying. I don't want you because that's too dark a place to go. Some of you are like, oh, no, I'd, I'd never do that. Read human history. You'll discover there's a lot of people who have made this move. Many. Wars are, are founded on a lot of this. We just have to wipe out this people group, wipe out that people group. It'll be better that way. Is it better? <laughs> I don't know, because some people are still experimenting on it. Still trying to tell us who's the right people group and who's the wrong people group. God says the right people group is who? All. God's got a heart for every single man, woman, and child uh, in this world. Everyone. Here's the cool part. <laughs> You're counted among them. You know that? Don't miss that. God made you among that number. God made you part of those people. And he did so as he sent Christ. Paul writes this, our second lesson from Colossians, talks about the indwelling of the Spirit. Last week we heard a little of this uh, in Colossians, and it continues uh, deeper into the, to the letter to the church of the Colossae. He says, therefore, as you received Christ the Lord. So here we are as Christians. Paul says, so you've received him. He says, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. He says, don't just be a Sunday morning Christian. Actually be rooted in this thing and walk like you got something God gave you. Too many of us step into church on Sunday and like, all right, I made it to my seat. Yes. And my coffee and it's ready. And then when church leaves and you hear go in peace to serve the Lord, you do what? You step back out and the sadness is you leave behind all the structure and the strength of the scripture and the learning that God gave you and all these people who when you sit there on Tuesday you say, my life's so tough, no one cares about me. There are over 100 people every single week. If they ever heard you say, no one cares about me, it would break their heart because they do care about you. But you've got to be willing to realize that we walk together through this. We're built up together, established in the faith. He goes on further, Paul writes, he says, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See, we were taught to abound in thanksgiving. Some of you are like, yeah, but I don't like singing. So all the songs talk about Thanksgiving, they're for sing. I don't care whether you like to sing or not. Speak them. Say them silently in your mind as they're up there. The hymns remind us that God's done so much for us. His grace is enough. Even when Jonah's upset that the grace is sufficient. Isn't that weird? Prophet's upset that the grace was sufficient for people. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit happens every week somebody posts a new shallow philosophy someone posts a new thing hey did you know your pastor didn't tell you a secret knowledge happens all the time you know the christian church has been hiding something from you this is why the christian church wrote creeds to remind you that we've actually said the same thing for millennia so ladies and gentlemen the next time the history channel tells you there's something secret they didn't tell you go ahead and watch it do it and listen to what they're doing. They're trying to lay a hook into you to get you to try to pull you out with an empty philosophy and some shallow deceit. They're trying to pull you away. Here's the funny part. The producer probably doesn't even realize they're doing that. You know that? They probably think they're just sharing a story and they're, and they're trying to set forth. Some of you are like, you're, you're reading too good, Pastor. You're trying to, trying to be too kind. 
My point is this. God will use anybody he can to win you back, and Satan will use anybody he can to tear you away. Because the enemy plays for keeps too. And when we don't name that that's the enemy, we kind of make it as if this is just a waxing moment. We just come to church and we just wax each other and we just kind of sit there and the car shines and you go out and you're set and then you guys get home and what do you realize? That wasn't wax. That was water. I didn't do anything. I didn't like it. That was me as a kid when I discovered my mom didn't let me paint the house at all. It was water and a paintbrush. And every five minutes, she came out and said I could put another coat on the house. <laughs> and I put a lot of coat of paint on the house. A <laughs> lot. Yeah, you ask her about that one next time. And she will smile and go, man, it worked for so long. <laughs> See to it, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. You see this? This is the battle we fight today. We're fighting this place where people are trying to make it about earthly things, and they forgot it's about Christ at the center. Jonah made it about Jonah. It was never about Jonah. It was about God had made Jonah, and Jonah was just someone God was using so that Jonah and all people would be saved. Because Jonah had that box of people he didn't want to pray for. We jump back as we start to draw to a close our time this morning, and in Jonah 4, you get this really troubling image of a plant that pops up over Jonah, and it withers. Just in a day, pops up, shade tree, loves it, he's excited, and the next morning it's gone, and he is ticked, just so angry with God. How dare you do this to the plant? And the Lord said to Jonah, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came up into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? God says, I'm merciful. I'm slow to anger and I'm abounding in steadfast love. And guess what, Jonah? Deal with it. That's who I am. I will always love people. I will love all people shaped in my image. And Jonah, there's a little part of you that's got to die. It's the selfish, prideful part that says, that God can't fix all people. He can fix them all. Some of you are going, yeah, I know he can because he fixed me. I know. Some of us know the place we came from. Others of us have forgotten. Because maybe we grew up in the church and we figure, well, I've, I've always, it's always been right for me. I've always been in the church. And thank the Lord, it's always been the Lutheran church, so I'm good. <laughs> you, you do hence a little sarcasm. There's a little bit of pride that comes in if that's kind of your always move. God's calling all of us back. He's calling all of us to repent, to say it's not about us. It's first and foremost about Christ. Christ who has won all things. By whom, in whom, and through whom all things are made. God's continuing to remake us just as he had to remake Jonah. It's an interesting way. That's the end of the book. <laughs> the book ends with a big old question mark. Are you willing to let God be as merciful as he says he is? May the Lord shape you and form you so that you know that God's mercy is abounding and he is as good as he promised and even more. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior Jesus Christ every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living 
Apex, North Carolina.